0: Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. An interesting study in how to deal with this particular virus because there's, as we've said so many times, so many tentacles to this particular virus. And this story. And there's a new uh, team of researchers at St. Joe's uh, Hamilton that are uh, trying to uh, answer a couple of questions. And joining us to talk about this for the next few minutes is Dr. Jeremy Hirota from St. Joe's uh, Healthcare in Hamilton. Dr. Hirota, thank you very much for joining us. I know you and your staff have been uh, rather busy for the last few months.
1: Well, uh, thank you very much for having me. Um, And indeed, we have been uh, very busy. We're we're doing our best to, you know, all put on our thinking caps and all think about the population that's out there and do our best to help them for sure.
0: So let's uh, talk first of all um, about uh, this particular COVID nineteen, about this particular virus. I've heard uh, from a, a few uh, medical people that we've uh, talked with, and uh, I'll talk this uh, I'll talk about this with you as well. Uh, this virus appears to have a mind of its own, and it is very hard to pinpoint and isolate and kind of deal with it because it. has so many different, uh, if you will, tentacles. Is
1: that a fair statement? Yeah, I I think so. Um, You know, you try to predict uh, who's going to get it, and if they get it, who's going to be okay and who's going to be worse off. Uh, you know, uh, is it going to be, um, does someone need to cough on you? Do you need to be around them an extended period of time? There's just a lot of uncertainty uh, around that. So I think it's safe to say there's a lot of tentacles and it's hard to wrap a head around uh, how this, this virus is working.
0: Now, uh, there is one of the questions I know you're working on, and that is why the severity of COVID-19 varies so much between infected individuals and I know there's been some cases we've seen it's been absolutely horrendous where people are on uh, life support systems and and trying to get through that and you know breathing machines and others not so much that's one of the things you're working on right
1: exactly uh, and I think you' I think you put that into to the words that I would have used is sort of you know it's the same virus. This is uh, the the virus. If unfortunately you or I were to get this virus, it's going to be the same virus. But it's how our bodies um, may respond differently that seems to be what is driving, um, you know, if someone's going to be severe or someone's going to be quite mild. um, Why uh, your body might respond differently to this virus than my body, um, we don't quite know that. Um, But maybe if we can study how that body responds differently in those severe patients, maybe we can get ahead of this virus and maybe we can... Um, ensure that the body responds at an appropriate level, so it doesn't kind of get out of control. Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, it does. And, and, and here's the other thing that I'm I'm really uh, fascinated with. As we uh, and I've learned a lot about this disease for the last several months, is uh, it touches everybody. And as somebody who has been a runner for over forty years, and you know I'm I'm kind of careful about what I do as far as germs. I find it um, interesting that people uh, have been affected of this. Uh, For example, people in their 20s or 30s who are in great shape or triathletes or runners, that they also get affected by this particular virus. And that one kind of surprised me because most of us would have thought that if you're healthy, that your
1: immune system will be able to fight this off. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's sort of your typical thing when it comes to influenza season in the winter, right? You know, we we get our rest, we eat well, we exercise, we reduce our stress, you know, wash our hands, and we should be relatively okay with an influenza infection. Um, But when it comes to this virus, um, that doesn't seem to be the case, and that might be because we've never seen this virus before, We've never been exposed. So even uh, you, Ted, when you're, you're super healthy and you're out and running, you know, maybe your body is actually able to respond very well to this virus. And what I mean by well is it, is it, it starts trying to defend itself. And it could be that defense um, against this virus that actually works against you. And it could actually lead to you being worse off. Um, we don't know. Um, and that's the stuff that we're trying to, trying to figure out.
0: You know, uh, one of the things that you have to do, of course, when you uh, are dealing with COVID-19 and to find out uh, all the infection pathways, you have to utilize those nasal swabs. I know there's no other way to do it, but my God, doctor, there have been a lot of people that have said, that is very uncomfortable, clearly. It doesn't last for long, but it's not a lot of fun.
1: I, I agree. And, uh, you know, to, to I, I've taken um, several myself, so I have empathy towards everybody that, you know, has had to take one of these swabs. You know, it's kind of like getting uh, Thanksgiving horseradish up your nose or something by an accident. And, uh, you know, it's what we do, and and the sample that we get is reliable from there. Um, And I think, you know, uh, despite the discomfort, um, getting these swabs is going to be the, the, an accurate way to let us know if you do or you do not have this virus. So it's an unfortunate part of the process here.
0: One of the things I know that you're looking at is the lung immune system, and I'm always curious when it comes to the smokers versus non-smokers. Uh, in your research and study, uh, talk about smoking and what it does to your lungs, which we know, but how that correlates to possibly getting or not getting COVID-19.
1: Mhm. Um you know from from a lung perspective uh, independent of uh, of COVID-19 situation you know I would I would highly you know, advise to to limit um smoking and and reduce smoking and do what an individual can to 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 um stop smoking I mean and this is uh, any inhalation of, of um, combusted material sitting on top of a campfire, as an example, or a barbecue. None of that is really good for you. Um, so ultimately, you know, trying to minimize um, those types of exposures is going to help you out. And how it's going to help you out is it's going to make sure that your lungs are able to respond appropriately to an, um, to a virus or an infection, um, and, and that, that things are working in order. Um, typically what can happen is if someone smokes is they might actually have impaired immune responses in their lungs. So this could leave them to be more susceptible than other individuals. Again, we're kind of learning that with COVID-19. It seems to be the case that, that individuals that smoke Smoke may be more susceptible Um, but overall I think just for your own lung health one should try to minimize smoking tobacco or other products.
0: Our guest is Dr. Jeremy Hirota, Research Institute of St. Joe's Hamilton, also the Canada Research Chair of Respiratory uh, Immunology at McMaster University talking about a study being done at St. Joe's about COVID-19. Uh, Dr. Hirota, what I, I also find interesting is uh, somebody like myself, and I always seem to share these stories about what I go through on a personal level, just to show people that, uh, you know, um, I, I go through the same thing they do. For somebody that suffers from seasonal allergies like I do, and it seems every year as I get older it gets worse, there's things mm-hmm. like coughing and sneezing and itchy eyes and dry throat, a lot of those things mimic the symptoms of COVID-19. And it seems, for example, if I'm having a really bad day with allergies, it's almost like, oh, my God, COVID is coming. How do you differentiate between the two?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I actually also relate, and I would share those stories. I had you know, terrible seasonal allergies. And, uh, you know, the, some of those symptoms, they do they do overlap. And, uh, you know, you have this cough, maybe dry cough, tickling, cough, and, you know, running, itching eyes. Um, really, I would say we go back to um, these type of um, uh, questionnaires that they take. Um, you know, have you been in contact with somebody that has COVID? Have you, have you traveled outside of the province or in an area where, you know, COVID is, is, is elevated? Um, and, and if you can begin answering no to some of these questions, um, you know, if you haven't been in contact with someone, if you haven't traveled to one of these places, um, then you know you can kind of begin getting confident that it's really just your seasonal allergies acting up, and maybe just taking a off-the-shelf reactin or you know or any other antihistamine may be beneficial. And if that works, then you're probably confident it's not COVID.
0: Uh, Dr. Hirota, as we get into, uh, of course, we're heading into the, uh, the back end of the summer season and into the fall. There's been a lot of talk about a second wave coming and uh, medical experts uh, have said, you know what, it's not a matter of if, but when this happens. Are, are, are you confident, so to speak, that there will be a second wave of uh, whatever type of COVID-19 is out there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to uh, raise fears or concerns, um, and, and, you know, that, that I don't know the answers to, but I think what we can do is we can look to other areas where, um, they've been a little bit ahead of us in their experience with the virus. Um, and, and when they have opened up, um, there have been these, uh, elevations and second waves. If we look at Australia, you know, now we're looking even closer to home. We can look at British Columbia, maybe Alberta. And we're just seeing that there. when you open up, it does follow that there are waves. Now, I think it's up to the, the government. I think it's up to the people, the population, all of us listening, um, to make sure that that second wave is as small and is as manageable as possible. And we do that by you know, washing our hands and, and limiting what we can do, we interact with other people, and trying to avoid those crowded places with, with dense social interactions. I think that's all we can do as a population and as a community.
0: And yet it seems that uh, some people don't get the message. We've uh, heard uh, and seen the stories of what happened in Niagara Falls when they uh, opened up, and a lot of people uh, came in and uh, and celebrated being out on the weekend. Uh, how do It must... Uh, it must make you get a little frustrated as a medical professional to deal and hear about people that are saying, uh, I am not going to wear a mask. And here it comes. It, it goes against all my my rights as a citizen. And people don't understand, obviously, that, yes, the constitutional rights are there. But when medical science gets involved, it kind of supersedes that.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, you know this is a it's a tough discussion really. I mean, it's very difficult to try to impose something on on people, right? It, it, you know, it does it does get into people's own psychology about what's their freedoms and what are they allowed to do, um, and and sometimes it's difficult for um, the message to get out that even though an individual has to, uh, to take a sacrifice, this could benefit the broader group um, of people that are out there. Um, you know, fortunately, I, I, as far as I'm aware, I don't have any underlying health conditions, um, but I want to do what I can so that if there are individuals out there in the community that do have underlying health conditions, I'm not putting them at risk. I would feel terrible if, if you know, a neighbor of mine got COVID from me because I was careless um, and, and maybe they didn't know they had an underlying health condition. So really, it, it's, it's hard for me to push a message. Um, and all I can really do is try to lead by example and, and hope that, um, you know, if we look at our neighbors and those in this community, um, we look at those as friends and family members, um, would we want them to be harmed? And, you know, Putting on a mask, it's a relatively trivial thing to make sure that our friends and family are healthy and okay.
0: Doctor, just before we wrap up, I know that you're, as we mentioned off the top, involved in uh, the study of COVID-19 and why it varies so much between infected individuals. I know that you're doing the research. Uh, Any idea when some of your research will be made public? I know this isn't going to happen overnight, but is there a time frame when uh, people like myself that are really curious about this study will get some information on it?
1: Well, we're, we're working, I, I don't want to say, you know, around the clock, 24 hours a day, but it's definitely a seven days a week kind of job that I'm working on. And we have, a, we have an excellent team, and we wouldn't be where we are without the team. And all of those team members are also working around the clock. So, you know, we anticipate, can we get something in three months out? You know, some insights, some preliminary data that, that gives us a little edge. Um, maybe we can get something out before the fall that could help with uh, with any second wave that does come, so that will be my optimistic idea. There, Ted,
0: Jeremy Hirota from uh, St. Joe's Healthcare and the Canada Research Chair in Respiratory Micro uh, Immunology at McMaster University. Thank you very much for the chat. Look forward to seeing some of the results of those studies, and hopefully, we will. Uh, uh, we're on the way to flattening the curve. Hopefully, we can uh, put an end to it, and uh, maybe, maybe uh, by this time next year, everything will be back to what whatever sense of normalcy there is in our lives can get uh, a little less uh, anxious. So we'll keep an eye on it. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Ted, for your time. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900-CHML.